0: To answer the question for yourselves, do you have a story to tell? And it's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today we're off to sunny Tasmania. And I say that seriously because it's not sunny for long in Tasmania, so we've got to celebrate it while we can. I have the most beautiful woman with me here today, Posey Graham Evans. Good morning, Posey.
1: Good morning, Mel. Nice to talk to you. Yeah.
0: Now, we've had the usual hijinks with our media this morning, but we're finally talking. We're finally happy. Uh, And to introduce Posey, I don't normally do the formal introduction, as you all know, but this one was just too good to resist. One of the most diverse and dynamic forces in Australian television and film, novelist, producer, editor, director, um, and a challenging and fruitful four-decade career. How do you feel about all that?
1: (laughs) It makes me laugh. I mean, the, the thing is, uh, you know, you just live, don't you? And you live day by day and you do what you do. And this stuff sort of sticks to you along the way, I suppose. Um, and I sit here in my converted dairy, which is my current office um, on our farm in Tasmania, and it seems surreal to talk about a career. It seems surreal to talk about the last 40 years, but that's what it's been. Um, and it seems like the blinking of an eye. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, that, and that's the scary thing, and that's what I want to talk to Posey today about, everybody, is that creative life and getting that balance. And I'm going to <laughs> guess, Posey,
1: that you wouldn't be anywhere else. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the notion of balance. I mean, I think, sorry, just to go back to this, I um, um, balance and not wanting to be anywhere else no I'm very happy where I am um and uh, we've had this place for 10 years and I've come and gone from it a fair bit but um it's very important to me because it's um I can't see another house from where I am I just see bush and water and hills uh and yet there's good coffee uh a kilometer away so <laughs> down the hill um but balance wow I think in my case, I'm sure there are some people who are much, much better at acquiring balance than I've proved to be. I suppose I get a stab at balance from time to time and things will go smoothly for a bit, but I'm obsessive and when I'm um, on something, I'm on it, I suppose, and that's not balanced at all. And sometimes that takes a toll and it depends how much you like it. If you love it, then the notion of balance isn't something... I didn't think about it, I suppose. Um, I like it when I know I've got it, um, but that's not very often.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now, I was attracted to uh, Posey's, I guess, website blog many years ago when I bought The Island House. Ah! And I was just the what, what engaged me was your trip, your research trip. Yes. Uh, when you were also you were heading off, I think, to do your next book, uh, and it was to Scotland. Mm. So I saw all these amazing photographs, Posy. You're a bit of a photographer as well.
1: Look, I am. I'm, I, I use Instagram much more these days. Some kind person hacked my website and took it off air, um, and which was a really strange experience. And I've got. Unbelievably, a website all designed and ready to go, and I can't just face—I can't face pushing the button um, because uh, I know that sounds ridiculous. Because at the moment, I've sort of backed away a bit from writing because I just wrote myself out, really. And it's not that I haven't got books stacked up in my head, but I was finding all the burdens of keeping a website going, posting to Facebook—you um, know—all the things that you do and that your publishers expect you to do. Um, naturally these days it's like checking your groceries out at the supermarket we're expected to do everything ourselves these days and it's not that I don't like doing it it's not that I don't like photographs but my life is very very full and I hate feeling compelled uh, I, I hate being nudged by conscience um, to post when, when I really don't want to sometimes I just don't want to so taking photographs. And Instagram suits me well. I've got a I've got a, a handle which is called Posy Writer on Instagram, and I've got another one on our accommodation business. And I do find this place inspirational for photographs. The landscape and the light is is lovely. It's really lovely, whatever season of the year.
0: Yeah. Now, look, there's so much to unpack in what Posey has said. I did ask that um, question about balance a little bit cheekily, but I've got to remember that I'm speaking to someone who's who's on the ball here. Posy. everything I've read about you is that struggle between wanting to do everything all at once and then wanting to um, be attuned to the quiet, unpeopled landscapes. And I thought that juxtaposition, I just had to talk about it.
1: Look, it is a conflict because... Um, um, I don't know how you find it, but to write is an interior process, isn't it? And, and and you have to when you write. You can't. Well, I know some people do write in cafes. I mean, um, uh, J.K. Rowling most, uh, most vividly is a recent example I can think of. But some people like to write. Uh, in busy places with people coming and going. I found I can't. I need to be somewhere because it's a process for me of getting down into it somehow, you know, kind of shedding the layers of the world and just uh, letting the tractor beam take you home, as it were. Now, that's a process which is about solitude for me. Um, But I am perforce, also a gregarious person. I mean, if you've been a television producer, a television is uh, or film, anything like that, is a group activity, and it's actually a real joy um, to work with a a fantastic, you know, exciting, effervescent bunch of people is really a glorious thing. So I lurch wildly from one to the other, I think, Um, and um, if I'm, You know, kind of knee-deep in production, I miss the solitude of writing and if I'm too long writing, then I sure as hell miss the stimulus of other people's conversation and working out a plot point or just uh, kind of revelling in story possibilities, which is great fun when you've got a bunch of people round a table. It's really good fun. I really love it.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, as I was researching with um, for this episode this morning, now, everybody, I've got ten pages of notes here and I just <laughs> got so enamoured with reading this stuff I forgot that I was actually working. Posey, you have to stop doing this to me. Uh, Frenchman's River, Helmsman House, the writer's house, and um, procrastination, that word came up a lot.
1: Oh, sorry, the last bit just cracked up. Um uh.
0: Yep, uh, um, your two, your your you call it your accommodation visit I uh, business. I do. I call it. I call it a romantic life, and we all <laughs> want to go and live in the writer's
1: house, please. <laughs> Look, if this came about in the most natural way in the world. Um, when we bought ten acres originally uh, of this farm, and it was the homestead block, and it had lots of buildings on it. It had the original farmhouse. It had a great big old apple shed, which is the size of two squash courts, it's vast, Um, and an enormous lean-to on it of, of the same size. It also had a picker's hut, now an apple picker's hut, and the little apple picker's hut was a very simple, probably you would describe it or someone might as a primitive building. It had very low ceilings. It had a tiny kitchen with the toilet going off the kitchen. Unbelievable. Um, and basically the the floors were sitting on the earth and we decided we would because we were coming and going a lot and the the farmhouse needed a great deal of work um because it was it was neglected you know people had lived here for sure and it was in scrupulous scrupulously clean but the place uh hadn't had money spent on it for really quite a long time but anyway so the we decided what we would do is we would preserve the apple pickers house and we would just rebuild that uh, and around it and whatever the hell, and that would be the place we came and stayed because we thought of this as a very long-term process, which has turned out to be. But the apple picker's hut turned out to have a lot of borer in it and in the end, really sadly, oh, it went. And it, there were two chimneys left and we were desperate to preserve the chimneys and they both turned out to have cracks in them, really big ones, so we had to rebuild them too. But anyway, so the apple uh, picker's hut Turned into the writer's house. And it was where I wrote uh, I want to say two books. And um, but we always had long-term plans. There's a dairy building here where I'm sitting now, which was going to become my office, and the writer's house very naturally morphed into somewhere that people could come and stay. Mostly it was family and friends. Anyway, then life changed. We sold up in Sydney, we came down here and there was another place available on the southernmost boundary of our farm, which is now 200 acres, and we thought, wow, and it had the same view, which is a glorious view, and slowly that morphed into a building called the Helmsman's House. The reason these two buildings have these names is romantic. Um, Frenchman's River, which is the name of the farm and the business, looks down across and over Signet Bay and down into the distance There are ranges of hills and a big sky. And that is the bay, Signet Bay, that French explorers sailed in on two separate expeditions, one in 1792 when Bruni d'Entrecasteaux was looking for La Perouse and he sailed into this bay under the royal flag of France and saw Black Swan for the first time. And then ten years later a man called Nicolas Baudin, under the tricolor after the revolution had happened in France sailed in here on a so-called scientific expedition. And, in fact, it was a spying mission and Baudin had been sent by um, Napoleon to find out uh, as much as he could about Australia because they were convinced at that time Australia was two vast islands and the French wanted one of them because the English already had the east coast. So it's a long story. But I sometimes sit here and if I half close my eyes, I reckon I could see those ships. Oh, anyway, and amazingly, um, we, we opened in the middle of last year in June and uh, middle of winter and just was the way it was, a crazy time to open a business. But, in fact, it was great because it gave us time to sort out how to do it. Um, we won a national award on stays. We won an award for the most romantic house, the Helmsman's House. Um on stays and uh that's i don't know how we did that anyway so there you go oh,
0: i'm sitting here laughing there goes four pages of my notes everybody pays he's covered it very succinctly <laughs> and beautifully i might add you you paint beautiful word pictures uh now my interest is a little bit deeper uh, in the area that you're, that you're living. The very first novel I wrote, I said it in the Huon Valley, I said it did? on the Huon River. Yeah, and it was the Timbers. I never finished it or published it, that's that's the story of my life. Um, but I remember sending
1: oh, it off I think you tips about how to do that, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> well, we might talk about that
0: next, because everyone here, uh, we're all writers and we'd love to hear your advice on that one. Um, but the Huon River, I sent it off to Lynn Wilding. Uh, she, everyone, I guess, who's listening uh, knew Lynn and how she helped so many writers along the way and she loved what I was doing but she told me I had to rewrite the whole first um third of the book so I actually went oh that's all too hard and I went on to the next one but I remember going to the state library um in Tasmania there and and loving, looking at the history of the place. When I was researching with you this morning, Posey, those names, Pickett's Hut, um, Frenchman's River, the Don Castro Channel, it brought it all back. You really are in one of the most beautiful parts of the world oh, that a writer could be.
1: Oh, we are. I, I, I think there's no contest. I mean, the world is full of beautiful places and the wonderful thing about about social media and things like Instagram, Facebook, all of that, it's marvellous, actually, to be reminded all over again how glorious everywhere in the world is. But if you've got to be anywhere, this is pretty nice. It's not for everybody because it's a, as you would know, a tiny, tiny place. Um, but uh, it is that combination of water and sky and pasture, and the aurora. You know, um, in 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 winter, uh, it's Tasmania is a pretty good place for. For auroras and sometimes the southern sky here uh lights up with what appears to be an extra city the size of London <laughs> on the southern horizon suddenly there's all this light um anyway it's you have to get up pretty late or very early mostly to see it and I've um but it's they're seen around here and I think it's magic I think it's magic just yeah.
0: Now, for everyone who doesn't know, the Huon Valley is an hour, roughly an hour south of
1: yeah, Hobart. We're about forty-five yeah. minutes from Hobart, where we are.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's a pretty. It ends. Um, there's some pretty great bushwalking uh, south of where you are, posing, and only intrepid bushwalkers yeah. go that far. I think Steve Parrish took a lot of his photographs in Tasmania, and, and really, um, those those jungles, those um, I guess rainforests, well, they're just
1: magic. It's the Southern Wilderness. Um, you know, the road runs out. When you when you go south, the road stops at a place called Southport, and after that you can only walk or go by boat into the southwest wilderness, and there are still places there that no one has ever been. Now, you know, we live in a different world, but once there were no roads from the Huon Valley to Hobart, and people, if they wanted to come here, could only come on a boat, and that's how the fruit that was once grown here uh, basically Went out to the world on ships. Um, so yes, it's I I like little places. I've lived in plenty of cities, um, but I like little places. I just do.
0: Yeah, and um, Hugh and Valley it attracts a lot of artistic types uh, as well, posy, So mm. so you're in good company down there.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, these valleys are stuffed with writers and painters and musicians. And astonishing still that a lot of wonderful um, skills survive from the early days tucked up into these valleys. You'll find people who are bronze casters and, you know, blacksmiths and woodworkers who were fantastic.
0: Yeah, and a wonderful place for romance writers, everybody. So all you romance writers out there, uh, Jen McLeod, if you've got that um, fifth wheeler of yours, great place to I be down. I don't know how you'd go. Yeah, I don't know how you'd go on the windy roads, but it can happen. Um,
1: Helen Young can sail a yacht. I've got a picture of Jen going around the roads <laughs> with her caravan. <laughs> oh, so she did manage it. She's been there, done no, that. No, 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 she hasn't. But we, um, oh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jen's. And uh, no, no, she just... I, I know she's intrepid. No, she hasn't been down here yet, but she knows she's welcome any time. Yeah. I, I laughed
0: when I arrived in Tasmania and we were on the West Coast posy and really? they said it rains for three hundred days of the year. Well, as I said, um I counted them and they were they were right it did rain for three hundred days. Where but I do Ah, uh, we're in Rosebury. Oh
1: right. Oh I know where Rosebery is. Yep, yep.
0: Yeah, so it's on the way to Queenstown, Queen, uh, Queenstown and Zian. But it's the history of the places and the trees and the, I guess, the convict history. Mm-hmm. Um, you're obviously a great lover of history because of your books. When you were when you were writing, I think it's, um, well, let me check my notes here, Wildwood um, that came out in 2015. That goes back to the 13th and 14th
1: century. It does. It does. Um, yes, I've been obsessed with history all my life because, um, and it's taken a, a variety and the books are one of them, but I think that they are us and we are them. You know, they wear different clothes and eat different food and certainly believe uh, a variety of wildly different things from many of us today. But somehow I think you can see personalities better from a distance. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's been something which has sort of grabbed me by the throat. Um, and just recently, no, no, I've kind of stepped away because I've just had enough. But it's not to say that I won't go back to it uh, or make some more TV. I've never made any um, except for children's drama series. That's, I did make one drama series for kids in the past. But apart from that, um, everything else I've ever done has been contemporary. But one day, one day, I'll see yeah,
0: we're going to get to that writer's block thing in a minute because, remember, I'm, the focus of this is supposed to be living the creative life and I'm thinking you must be so enamoured with all those beautiful views and your, your um, writer's um, hut that <laughs> the writing has just gone on the back burner. But you did make one comment and I love it. Um, you were walking past a window where you were doing the laundry and you could you had to stop and look at the view as only a writer can.
1: Where did you find that?
0: Oh, I don't know, somewhere else. <laughs> it's in one of these 20 pages here, Posie. Um And I thought every writer among us, every writer listening today can relate to that um, because you see it with new eyes. You see things with different eyes um, when you start living that creative life. You start to notice things.
1: I think so. I mean, I actually think that all creative... I think, by the way, everyone, every single human being has the potential... To be creative, some people are lucky enough to 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 find it in themselves, or it's just an urge that won't be put down. But I think it's a lifelong journey to find your way uh, to the thing that resonates most with you. And by the way, I think it's not just one thing. I think people who have a a, who 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 trust themselves creatively are going to find all sorts of ways that that's going to express itself. But I think all creative people, one of the most important things is you you're an observer. What are you if you're not an observer? Because out of, out of looking at things comes, uh, you know, comes your stock in trade, whether you write or paint or sing or dance or whatever the hell, you give the world back to itself. You, you see it and you show it to your audience, whatever that audience might be.
0: Yeah, I was listening to an audio book on the way to school and it was called Deep Work. And I know a lot of us have heard of that book. Uh, One day when I get energetic, I'll write a review about it. But it's saying, as you um, pointed out earlier, we need to cut out the distractions. We need to cut out the Facebook and the having to post and all the stuff that goes with writing. We have to find a way to shut it all out so we can just write.
1: Yes, and I think that... um... A writing habit is the thing that saves you. I mean, I—I um, I, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm saying that I did find posting and facebooking and all the rest of it quite a burden, and I could have cut back quite a lot, but not to say that I don't enjoy it when I do it, because I do value that connection with people, and it's extraordinary when a voice comes to you from the other side of the world. I kind of relish that. I think that's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but a, a, a writing habit is, is, is what will save you um, if you're trying to write a book. I think, I think you have to be consistent and the only thing you can do, I mean I started out writing a book and I couldn't get past the first 100 pages and a friend of mine gave me some very good advice which I think was originally John Marsden's. I'm pretty sure it was. But anyway, I'll pass it on in case you haven't heard it and it did save me and it turned me into a writer. All I did, because I used to say to myself, well, I'm going to write every night when I come home from work. Well, you can't, not when you're doing 14-hour days. And that sets you up to fail because you're very good for the first week and then the second week it's harder and then the third week it dribbles away. But on your way to becoming a professional writer or a full-time writer, self-publishing, publishing, whatever the hell it is, it, little and often is the thing that will get you there. So I, I worked out, this piece of advice was, work out when you really can write. And if it's only once a week, make it once a week. And if it's only two hours, make it two hours. So I started writing on Sunday afternoons. Now, it's very antisocial, and I regret that I developed such a disciplined habit about it because it meant it cut me out of other forms of my life. Um, But unfortunately, you've got to give to get. So I used to have lunch, and about 1 o'clock I would go, and wherever I was at that time, I would write. And I did indeed write for two hours. Now, I'm a fast writer when I really put my mind to it, and that's just training. So I generate, you know, whatever I generated. And then I would leave it alone for from Sunday to Sunday. And the next time I would sit down, I would write chapter two, I would reread what I had written the first week or the week before, and all I would do was reread it. I would not polish every perfect word. I would not reanalyze sentences. I would not. I would not recreate what I had done. I would clean it up, and that's literally all I did: clean it up, shorten some stuff, um, check it. And by the time I got to the end of that whatever number of words, I was back in that world, and I was ready to write chapter two. And I wrote chapter two. The other wonderful bit of advice, which I thought was wonderful and very, uh, well, it works for me, may not for everybody else, stop in the middle of a sentence. Stop, just stop. When you're ready to get up, stop and go away. And the theory was that, or as, as my friend passed on to me, that essentially the gap between the first piece of writing and the second is your brain working. It will work. And then when you get to sit down, you've all that unconscious stuff has happened and you've got lots more to say. Now I did that religiously for six months and I had a first draft of a book. And a real draft, not a not a reworked, rehashed, you know, thrashed to death. I had a first draft. Now, as we all know, a first draft is just a first draft. And really you got to write five, six or seven. But when you're writing or whatever it is you, you write, some people don't do that. Some people work very differently. I'm I'm a slow writer and a fast, I mean, I can write fast, but the process takes me a long time. And I know people who can, you know, write and finish a book in, in nine months and I'm just in awe of that because I sure as hell can't. Um, but what, after that, when um McLeod's Daughters finished and we had a first look deal with Fremantle and that went for about 18 months and it was meh, you know, it was interesting um, and I came up with stuff I liked and wanted to do but nonetheless the GFC happened and it all got too bad. And then I got offered, I mean getting big things up was just not possible. So then I was offered, as it turned out, a, a new multi-book deal. So, you know, we just took the plunge and then I started writing every day. And for me, if I am writing, that's what I do, like Dickens did, sit down, you know. I mostly write in the afternoons, though. I, 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 some people don't. They write first thing in the morning or they write in the mornings and then have the rest of the day. It doesn't seem to work like that for me. Um, so I write in the afternoons and I, again, after lunch, and then I'll get up at about 7 o'clock or something and go in. If I'm really writing and I've got to do it, well, then it's seven days a week. Now, that's a big change um, and it's only just the way it's developed for me um, and, yeah, people have lots of different ways of doing it.
0: Yeah, now I'm going to ask this question now um, because um, I'm really trying to resist McLeod's Daughters, which is where I want to go, everybody. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You must get so sick of it, but I've got my 14-year-old wants to know. Uh, We're talking about um, book number seven. I believe it's book number seven, Mm. um, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. You got to about July of last year and you just had to put it down because you found um, that it was turning to mud, it was mm. being a bit of a slog for you. Um, I was hating it. Yeah, and that—that's a good sign. It takes a strong person to to stop, step back. Uh, do you think you'll you'll either get back to that one or start a new one?
1: Oh, it's a story that I want to tell. The island house stalled halfway through, and the island house um, got to a second draft. Also The Dressmaker, not the film, but the book The Dressmaker, which I wrote, a different, totally different set in uh, Victorian England. I, um, I researched that posy. I had to check that it wasn't one
0: and the same. Everybody, it's not um, the Kate Winslet one. It's the real historical one. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I got to a second draft on The Dressmaker and my Australian editor, who I adore, read it, and she said, you've got to start again. And it was that's this time it was seriously a manuscript thick enough that she could stand on to get things down from the top shelf. She said, "You're writing about the wrong person. That's who you should be writing about. That person there. That's where the book is. And I just was completely devastated. Uh, terrible. It was just an awful experience. But uh, with her help, and she basically helped my hand, uh, I kind of got it back up again, and in the end, I was very satisfied with the book. But it took five or six drafts, um, and that was a tough one. Um, and so was the Island House. It took me four years to get back to the Island House. Um, but this one, the Outer Sea, I will get there at some point, just not now. I mean, it was a, it was a cascading series of events. My publisher is Simon and Schuster. And I was working with a New York editor who was a darling and we'd done four books. So I, I work draft by draft with an Australian editor when I write and she's my long-term editor, Nicola O'Shea. I can't recommend her too highly. She's stunning. Um, and she's a great structuralist. Um, and she knows how to work with writers. She understands how fragile the experience can be um, and how you need to continue to have confidence in your work, and that's sometimes difficult. Anyway, so my New York editor, lovely woman, Sarah Branham, uh, had run me around Christmas of last year and basically said that she was leaving Simon & Schuster uh, for a whole variety of reasons. You know, life gets in the way of all sorts of things. And what that meant was that I would need, I would end up with another a person um, from Simon & Schuster in New York that I hadn't met, and I don't like working with people that I haven't met, so that would mean getting on a plane. And I was struggling with the book and really struggling and um it's a, I know there's a, there's a story there. It's just a complete mess at the moment. And I know, I mean, I, I do have faith long-term that I will write again. I just want time off. And the the issue, of course, in the world of commercial publishing is naturally it's such a nerve-wracking business. They need to know that their pipeline is sorted and filled up and that they've got books coming out from X, Y and Z at a particular time. And I, to be honest with you, just felt I had to get off that um, treadmill, just had to. So, you know, still going on a bit um, uh, because I'm trying, uh, you know, there's, there's a resolution required really with the publishers and um, that's still ongoing. But I feel all right about it and if I never write again, I'll feel all right about that too um, because it, it's like you dam up water and it finds another path, and I think that's what's happening at the moment in, in my head. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and you didn't call it writer's
0: block. You called it writer's depression.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it, it's interesting how, how we move past and move forward from those things. Uh, living in Tasmania, uh, having all that wonderful history of Van Diemen's land, having, um, what was it? I've forgotten the name of it. Where, where's the island over on the west coast where they used to put all the prisoners?
1: Uh Sarah Island and Macquarie Harbour. Macquarie Harbour. Is that what you're
0: Yeah, Macra- yeah Macquarie Harbour. Yeah. Do you so think on. you'll ever write a, a a Van Diemenland uh novel?
1: Well um I don't know. Um there's something I wanna make which is a ghost story, um which is set in Tasmania, which might novelise after the fact. I don't know. Um I I I'm attracted to the darkness that lives here, because it does. Um, It's like New Zealand has the same feeling for me. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I think yes and sometimes I think no. But at the moment I just, it's like putting my hand in a fire when I think about writing. Uh, I just don't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Yeah, I think I've got a quote here,
0: something about uh, Signet Bay has a, a, gothic quality and a heart of darkness mm-hmm. um, and that I guess that appeals to the writer in all of us that that melodrama and that dramatic oh. it might be just enough just to live it
1: don't know I mean the thing is that the sky here is the most dramatic thing you'll ever see in your life and I've seen some dramatic things because this is Listed island is as as we all know you know in the teeth of the westerlies and as as you found on the west coast it rains 300 days a year um, well, it doesn't rain quite as much here because a lot of the rain gets dumped on Rosemary, but um, uh, we still get about a metre of rain a year. It's very dry right now. Everything, oh, I'm looking at the hills through my window and they're all, you know, like the flanks of a lion. They're kind of lion-coloured. Um, but that's like that for about four months of the year and then after that it's, um, it's like Ireland. That's as green as green. And, in fact, um, the ABC just did uh, 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 a show. It's been doing a show called Backroads over summer by Heather Hewitt. She created it. And they came to Signet and they shot Signet. And they shot here last October uh, when it was green as green. And it's, it's a spinner because the country turns this gold colour when the hay comes in. You know, Around Christmas the hay is ready to be cut and paddock by paddock the country changes its colour. Um, from green to gold, and it's exquisite at sunset or in the early light. It's that long light. Wow, you know.
0: And- yeah, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll. Reference um, back roads in, in our show notes, everyone. Um, I had a quick peek. at it, it will be a very, very interesting show to see. It is a beautiful part of the world, Posey. Uh, now, but you have to be, I guess, a certain type of person because when your toothpaste freezes... You've got to say, why am I living here? And I know I ask myself many a time, uh, why am I living here? And then you'd walk outside and you'd see the mountains Mm. and you go, oh, yeah, I remember now.
1: That's right. And I don't mind the cold, you see. I like cold um, because I was born in England and I think what you first know as a child came to Tasmania. My father was the Tasmanian connection, came here with my parents when I was 15. Um, And what you first know sinks very deep. And so the seasons are important to me, and I found that hard on the mainland because the seasons are there for sure, they're just not my seasons. Um, and I think that winter for me is all about lighting the fire, you know, and drawing the curtains against the dark and, um, and holding a glass of red wine up to the light of the fire. I can think of no happier time. Um, so as long as you can get warm and you've
0: got one warm room, you're were right. Yeah, everybody. And, look, the old woodpile, um, the white tip spiders that go with the woodpile. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I remember the days. It's why I ended up on Magnetic Island, everybody. Um, they, it, they, it does have its place. But as a writer and as um, a creative, I guess, artist and living, living the creative life, what, what's next for you?
1: Do you know I don't know? Um, I think uh, all my life I've been an experiencer and uh, I've I've run very hard to bring things into being and sometimes they've been impossible and they haven't kind of surfaced and other times they surface with a bang and then you're kind of along for the ride. I think uh, something's brewing. Um, and I've I've had a few false starts over the last two or three years, not just writing. I was developing a series in New Zealand, which I love, and we got got all the way through to the end and we fell at the last hurdle, you know, because network TV um, is uh, going through interesting transitions as well. And I love working. I'm on various boards. I'm on the board of Screen Tas, and what happens here is the life of the screen industry in Tasmania is... You know, waking up, stretching and bending. Lion, which is out there right now, was shot in Hobart, and it, uh, you know it's got a real chance at the Oscars. Um, the catering incident, blah 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 blah. So, I don't know. I kind of feel like um, there's something to be said uh, for just for just surrendering to see what walks through the door. Um, and uh, it's an interesting world out there. People contact me. Yeah.
0: Mm. And it's the seasons seasons of a creative life. You can't live that high point all the time. Oh no. You have to have to, as you said, sit back and, and enjoy the white room. I was listening to another thing and this woman was talking about and she was talking about the creative life. And embracing the white empty room and and trusting that something will fill it.
1: I do. I really I really get that. And um, my mother was also a novelist. She had, uh, she lived in London. She had her first three books published by Hutchison between her, she was between the ages of 23 and 26. Two out of the three of them were optioned by Hollywood Studios. They were. Then the war happened, nothing happened, and, you know, other, nothing happened with those books. Her last book was published when she was 87. And um, so I do trust. I do trust. I trust the genes somehow. Um, I don't know where it came from, but somewhere way back, you know, someone was sitting in a cave telling stories as the light flickered on on the walls, you know. That's where I think. That's where my lineage lies.
0: Um, Now, I went off in a little tangent trying to find your mother's name. Now, I couldn't find it. Is that that on purpose? Eleanor,
1: uh, she she published under the name of Eleanor Turton, those first three books, Hutchison, and that would have been in the, Jesus Christ, pardon me, um, the 30s, (laughs) 1930s. She died a very old lady, my mum. It's sort of an extraordinary life. Um, And then her last book was published under the name of Eleanor Graham Evans and it's called From Sarah, S-A-R-A-H to Sarah, S-A-R-A. And in one form, uh, when she was first, she was 70-something, that unpublished book uh, won what was then the Alan Marshall Award for a Best Unpublished Novel. Um, and she couldn't get a publisher to take her on because um, she was whatever she was, seventy two or seventy three. Then she it became a hobby, and she worked with a very good editor, and the book got you know she she renewed it and whatever the hell, and it got published by her small Tasmanian publisher. Uh, when she was eighty-seven, and it was launched by Brian Harradine, who was a senator then for Tasmania. Uh, you know, world well famous in Tasmania was Brian, and there are there are libraries that I can go into in in Southern Tasmania where they say to me, "Oh yes, you're you're Eleanor Graham Evans's daughter, aren't you?" Which pleases me. So,
0: so you're from a long line of strong women, I'm guessing, because your characters are very strong
1: women as well. Well, I write with the point of view of a woman, I suppose. I try also to create uh, strong male characters and interestingly for me, well, I found it really weird, Um, Wildwood is half told in the voice of a a man and his voice turned up first and I was was, at the beginning I was very, very nervous about that because I thought, gee, well, you know, can I can I do it? Um and um I don't know if I have or I don't know if I have, haven't. Um Andrew on my husband, is the first one to read all my books. He believes I have, and I don't think he's needlessly biased. He's a big reader, so as in you know, reads all the time. So he says, I caught a male voice. I hope so. I don't know.
0: Mm. And I think Kirkus review. I was, I was, um, I went down so many rabbit holes wow. today. Um, Posey, you've got no idea. Um, but I Kirkus review actually, <laughs> I don't even know. I just it just came up, and I read it. But they actually liked your um, your male character um, better than your female character. They liked your female character, but they actually said that the real hero of the story was was him. Fascinating.
1: I haven't read that. I think that um, uh, I write books um uh, I guess I'm a storyteller that's what I do and um I I I try not to be influenced by what people say all I can do is write the story I can't turn myself into what somebody would like me to be or write what somebody would like me to write just doesn't work I kind of read books I think i sorry I write books I reckon uh because they're the sort of books I'd like to read
0: yeah, and I think that I think that's um, one of the secrets, isn't it? You you yeah. you write what you love, you write what you you want. Uh, now I'm just thinking of your writer's house that you have down there. Um, I guess you'll surround yourself with people who have the same passions as you. If you've got those two beautiful cottages on Frenchman's Farm there or Frenchman's <laughs> River, I'm guessing you get a lot of writing visitors.
1: No, not so far. It's it's interesting. People have said to me, "Why don't you do a writing school here?" Because I could um and I, I i i may i don't know um i i don't know uh no no sort of we have a really wide range of people who come and stay you like a taxi driver really you know you don't know what the fare is going to be or who they are or where they're going to come from and we've had people from overseas we've had a fair few tasmanians which i'm thrilled about um uh, you know, we just no, very wide. no, I don't think anybody who's claimed consciously to be a writer. I haven't yeah. but I haven't promoted it like that, you know. I haven't gone come and stay with Posy Graham Evans. I haven't done that. This is this is a tourism business.
0: I don't think you need to. Um, Windsor Dobbin covered you for the Food, Wine and Travel in Melbourne. Uh, did a beautiful review for you. Uh, Michelle Hesp, who, yes! who is the peer of mine, she did a beautiful six or eight page, um, which oh. I couldn't access, so I'm going to get her to send it to me. It's um, but absolutely the photos, gobsmacking.
1: It's absolutely yeah. gobsmacking. I will, we were very fortunate. The photos, I mean, I take lots of photos, so some of our photos um that end up are photos that I take but we've got um, a very distinguished um architectural landscape photographer who lives very close who took and he's a lovely man um who took the photographs of the two places and the farm and Christ pardon me for those who are religious what an eye that man has amazing
0: yeah, I think I was reading something about um you were very nice to him about how he worked the cherry picker. Uh, <laughs> uh, so is um can I mention his name or is that private? Is Craig.
1: Craig yeah, Kaltram, everybody. Um, K-R-A-I-G, Carlstrom, everybody. K R A I G Carlstrom, C A R L S T R O N. And um, look, he's worked with all the great architects of Australia, Glenn you name it, um, taking photographs of their buildings. But he's also just a profoundly good um, photographer of, uh, he's, he's a mariner. So he's in love with boats in the water. But he's also. Uh, and has various long-term collaborations, he takes school wizard landscape photographs, they are just extraordinary. Um, yeah. You, can, you can tell I rather like them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look,
0: and not only do you like them, you take beautiful ones yourself, you make a tree look amazing, and then I look at the Signet River with the little boat sitting on ah. it. Hewan, uh, the Huon River, everybody, it's um, the Huon Pine is famous for boat masts mm. um, and Tasmania has an amazing maritime history. It has an amazing maritime museum down there and it's just crying out for more stories to be told. So if you're looking for a story idea, you've just got to go and visit Posey, sit in the writer's cottage uh, and go for it it now look I've taken up 45 minutes of your time and I haven't even asked about McLeod's daughters now we don't watch tv in our household posy but I can tell you we have probably watched your series probably four times we're going through it again at the moment my daughters and I are obsessed and I was sitting there the other night and I said to my 14 year old I said I love this so much. I said I'm going to, and she says, "Don't say it, mummy. I know you're going to um, invite Posy uh, Graham Evans onto the podcast." I said, "Yep." She said, "She won't come, you know." <laughs> so, so when I told her, "Guess what? Posy's coming on the podcast with me," she said, "Find out what happened to the." And I don't know the actor's name. She did. What happened to Claire?
1: Oh, okay. So Lisa, we Claire um, um, Lisa Chapel, who played the character of Claire, famously that character died um, in series three and we went for eight series. Now, uh, there were really good reasons and we desperately wanted Lisa to stay on the series, but she just got married. We were also shooting 100% on location in South Australia, which is a long way away from the centre of, you know, where actors congregate and um, first nights happen and all of that stuff. So I think that... There were very good reasons why Lisa didn't want to stay on the show. It was also gruelling. It was 100% all weathers, outside, you know, animals. It was a tough, tough series on everyone um, to make, but the results were pretty special. Um, so Lisa went back. Uh, well, she lived quite a while in Sydney, but she's a stage actress, and I believe that's I would. I, I, I'm speaking for her, but as far as I can tell, I think stage is Lisa's first love. And she's a New Zealander, and she's got a strong family in New Zealand. So I'm pretty sure she ended up back in New Zealand doing stage work. She's done. um, She's done. uh, Did a a film in Adelaide a couple of years ago, Um, and uh, she pops up. You see her from time to time um, in guest roles. Um, She looks fantastically fit and strong. And um, yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 I. You know, it, it's funny, people that you work with for a long time come in and out of your lives, um, but, of course, um, in the entertainment business, everyone, everyone is a gypsy. You move from job to job. And and it's always lovely when people come back out of the ether towards you and you hear, you hear where they are and what they're doing. It's lovely. I've been talking yeah. to Aaron recently um, and uh, just on and off because there was a, I don't know, we were in touch on some something um and it was lovely to catch up with them you know etc yeah i think i
0: found um where did tess tess mcleod i don't don't know the the actors i only know the character. right that's right she turned up in um 800 words recently as well so they come around and they swings and roundabouts um now um mcleod's daughters won um some big Best drama on the 60 year anniversary of television
1: and McLeod's. No, it, put- it was amazing. The most, it was, I couldn't believe this. I've actually got it. Uh, it's, uh, this was channel, the, they did the viewer survey, you know, of all the shows in the last 60 years, what's the one that you loved? Uh, and McLeod's was it. And uh, I'll just see if I can find out what they actually said. No, I can't remember. Um, but it was something like, um, uh the most popular show in sixty years was McLeod's Daughters. Like, against all comers, which I just thought was astonishing.
0: Yeah, I, I read go. that out this morning. We we were very very excited about that posy. Um, we were very sad when Claire got killed off, but we watched it right till the end. As I said, we're up to our fourth watching of it, and I'm wondering why. Because my daughters are 14 and 16, and just the characters that you created, mm-hmm. I guess they they resonate with with all of us. Um, in that, and I know this is a passion of yours, and I know it's something you believe in. Uh, women with strong values and the country that we live in. I think, was it filmed over in Borough
1: somewhere? No, uh, we we shot just outside Gawler in South Gawler. Australia. It's about an hour yep. north of Hobart and it's just at the beginning of the Barossa where the country starts to roll. And, uh, I mean, that was a wonderful landscape. And, I, see, I'd, lived, I'd gone to university in South Australia and I'd lived up in the Adelaide Hills and um, uh, I knew the country and I also knew that you could shoot convincingly in the country within an hour hour, uh, of a capital city, which meant it was much more possible to do. And I didn't want to put it on sets. I wanted it to be as authentic as we could possibly make it. And um, so, yeah, so Gawler became the place because we found the house there and um, we made the telly movie there and it was huge but then the network Took a long time to make up its mind whether we should do it or not. Um, And then finally we rolled and, yeah, we were there for a long time.
0: Yeah, and I think that's part of your your personality that you just I think you're I guess a little bit shy in saying oh it happened in the end but I think it happened because of of your strength and your determination to make it happen. Uh, I'd like to finish now because it's fifty minutes in ah! and I'm just taking pure advantage here. Can you finish off for us, Posie, talking about sunrises, sunsets, and chooks? Aha!
1: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, the thing is you can kind of see and smell the sunrise and uh, and, and and to stand outside and inhale the light is very important to me somehow. Um, and, yes, I've got chooks and they're hilarious. Um, they're very friendly and they're very greedy and they're a lesson to us all that you need very simple things in your life. You need somewhere to shelter and you need enough food. That's pretty much it. Ah, beautiful
0: and that's it about the creative life everybody you've heard it straight from posy graham evans the um i guess the the matriarch of 40 years of all those things that you did and lived and all the all the awards that you've won just wonderful um there's no such thing as balance we know that we all know that uh (laughs) there are seasons in your life and you've got to have nature around you because it is just speaks to your soul so, thank you, Posey.
1: It's a pleasure. And thank you very much, Mel.
0: Okay. And that's it from Rider on the Road.